A slave does not have a will of his own. A slave is whatever the master says, that's what he does. And if he doesn't, look out, wallop. Do you know what I mean? So in a sense, he's trying to say, well, look, we're sons and daughters of God. You know, we're blessed. We're kings and priests. We're all these wonderful things. We like to dwell on all those wonderful things, but we forget about the fact that we're slaves. We're slaves as well. And he's calling us. He says, this is, this is the transition to salvation. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin, so through repentance, have become slaves to God, the benefit from that, if you become a slave to God, the benefit you're going to reap leads to holiness. And the result, read it all in your scriptures, guys, the result is eternal life. A four-stage process. Four stages. You've been set free from sin, repentance, become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and that leads to to eternal life. So that there is, to me, is, is in, a, in essence the cornerstone of the whole doctrine of salvation. Everyone should read that, reflect on that, and teach from that. That should be the essence. If you're going to teach on salvation, that's it. That's where we've got to dwell. And everything else, does it all align so far in this survey? Does all the other scriptures I've preached on, do they all align with this one doctrine? So far. If God said to you, I want to send you to hell for five minutes, would you go, oh, yeah, okay, no worries? How would you feel? You know, I'm just going to send you for five minutes. You're going to go down there, you're going to be thrown into the flames for five minutes. Who, who here would, you know, put up their hand and say, okay, yeah, oh, well, it should be a buzz. Five minutes, just five minutes. Just five, five minutes, that doesn't take long. You wouldn't want to go, would you? No way. Who would want to risk getting thrown there forever and ever 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 and ever? As I said, and Daniel keep bringing up this one sermon I did ages ago, and I said, you know, a million years will pass, and you won't be able to stand it one more second. Not one more second. And you've been there a million years, and you can't stand another second. We don't even want five minutes. Not one more. And then a million, million years will pass. And every second you can't stand another second, but you're still there. And then a billion years will pass. A billion years. Eternity is a long time. It doesn't stop. And you're still there. And you still can't handle one more second. And you're still in the pit of hell. Be called the lake of burning sulfur. Hell's thrown in there with it. And you're still there. And then a billion, billion, billion years passes. And you're still there. You're still not used to it. You still can't stand it. Not one more second. And you've been there a billion, billion, billion years. And you're still in hell. You can't stand it. And you're still there. What would you do to get out of there? What would you do if God said, look, I'll send you back to live your life over on earth so you can get it right? After a billion, billion, billion years of hell, do you think that that man would be the holiest man that ever walked the face of the earth? 
He would be praying on his knees continually, continually, 24 hours a day. He will deprive himself of sleep. He will not give up. Because he realises that hell is real. We re don't realise that hell is real. It doesn't change us. It doesn't make us want to live holy lives. We get... Christianity, yeah, I can take it or leave it. I don't want to tell my friends about it. You know, pray. Oh, yeah, I forgot this morning. I'll try to get in some prayer tonight. I'll probably do five minutes. You know, we only got one shot at this. We can't mess this up. We got one shot, one life. This is the critical moment in history for us. You get it right. And you live eternal life with Jesus Christ. But it comes with a cost. Did Jesus pay a cost? Did his disciples pay a cost? They gave their lives for this. Don't you realize why now? Isn't it nicer to hear it here? It's like even though it's shocking, it's like, wow, Rob's really on a tangent right now. But to live it, to be in there for a billion, billion years, you would come back and listen to this sermon a million, billion times while you live. You'd be saying, Rob, can you stop preaching about everything else? Just preach about hell every single time you preach because it is so real and billions of souls are going to go there. And there's already, hell is already full, but it's opening its mouth wide and, uh, and receiving more and receiving more. And the more sick and corrupted this world gets, the bigger its mouth is getting. It's taking more and more and more souls. We're losing people at a phenomenal rate. And what? The church doesn't even preach on hell. The church doesn't even preach on repentance. It doesn't even preach on sin or holiness. And we're losing them. We're losing them. found that they've been blessed by the prayer ministry uh, partners in prayer thing that we're doing in this church who's been finding that they've been blessed by it yeah I have I know I have because I've, I've been experiencing um, some really you know just amazing senses of, of the presence of God like I, I get in the prayer now and uh, before we started this I'd get in the prayer and I'd have to work up a bit of a sweat before I'd sense the presence of God now I, I step into the prayer room and the presence of God just comes on me like a thunderbolt or a lightning bolt, I should have said, thunderbolt. Um, you know what I mean? It's like this really strong sense that God is, is, uh, is moving in a wonderful way. So what we've got to do is we've got to keep our eyes on him, haven't we? Amen. You know, we don't look around us and, and like Stephen, where is Stephen? He's, uh, Stephen um, sent me a message during the week. I should actually find it. I'll do it while he's not in here. He said, hey, Rob, this came to me in prayer for you and our church. Don't be discouraged by the lack of many, but be encouraged by the faithful few. All right? And I'm like, amen, amen. Be encouraged by the faithful few. And so I'm, I am encouraged and very, very blessed. You guys are, um, I, I seriously pray for you guys every single day, every last one of you by name. And, um, and it's as I'm doing that and as I can feel that your prayers are praying back the same way, you know what I mean? There's something starting to stir in the heavenlies. I'm starting to believe.
for a major, major move of God. And so we can't be, just because at the moment God's not sending a thousand people in the door here, does that mean that revival's not coming? Does that mean that God's not going to move? We've got to be faithful. We've got to be faithful in prayer. I tell you what, there's, there's no other hope in life. And I can't stress this enough. You know, just I was just talking to my daughter Alicia this morning and you know, how many people today, Christians, are too afraid to mention that they're Christian among people. Like, you know, at, at basketball where Alicia goes, I mentioned to someone there that I'm Christian, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. And they immediately turned off me and they've never been able to look me in the eye ever since. Immediately. That's it. Judgment, bang, done, complete. And I'm like, whoa, that was, that was like, all I'm doing is being nice and friendly all the time and they've already judged me and they can't look me in the eye. So uh, doesn't that make most, most of us not want to mention we're Christian in certain circles? We get around certain people. We don't want to mention that we're Christian because we don't want them to judge us, right? But is that right? Aren't we meant, you know, to, to declare his name in a godless world. And be proud of the fact that you're a believer. Be proud of the fact that you're a Christian. Don't be afraid to tell your friends. If your friends don't know you're Christian, something's wrong. If you've never mentioned Jesus to your friends, something's wrong. If they've got no idea of your faith, then that, that's a reflection on you. If people don't hate you because you're Christian, there's something wrong. You know, Paul gauged whether he was in the will of God by those that were persecuting him. He says, because I'm being persecuted, I know I'm preaching the cross of Christ. What a good gauge. Isn't that a good gauge? We're getting persecuted. We must be preaching the right thing. So get persecuted, guys. Seriously. For the right thing. You know, for Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I received these emails. I just want to read you a little bit of one. Um. As I'm getting prayer partners just among all of us here, uh, I've got actually a, a, a much larger audience on, on YouTube. And I've just been selecting specific people off YouTube that are sort of quite regular in their comments and stuff. And uh, so this certain person, her name is Christine, uh, or Christiane, and she said, I'm uh, so grateful for this moving of the Spirit. She's talking about the prayer partner ministry that she's now joined. Now she's received my prayer list. Uh, we're going to be, she's in Brazil. I had a bit of trouble trying to get the book sent to her, so I'm going to be sending her the, the book uh, this afternoon when I get home. Um, she says, all this, bless, all this with blessed hope is so new and scary in a good way to me. Right? I do not know where this journey with you guys will lead me, but by saying yes to it, and positioning my heart in prayer to the Lord for you guys has been bringing me into a new dimension in holiness and in my relationship with Jesus. So I am grateful because this journey in prayer is leading me more and more closer to him. Wow. I was like, oh, that's, that is awesome. That someone has united with me in prayer and with us as a church, right? And she's been immensely blessed immensely and this is what i was saying last week is this is an actual movement this is what they, the bible and, and and ministries and ministers of the past have called a movement a new movement is when god does something new he aligns a whole bunch of people together 
And once you start, uh, once you're aligned in this prayer ministry, and we're all praying of the same accord, we're all got the same prayer list, so we're praying even the same points on a daily basis. God starts to do a new thing. So this is early days. This is seed days. This is the seed sprouting and it's germinating. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of starting. You know, soon it's going to pop out of the soil, and then it's going to. Lena likes that, don't you? The seed pop, and it's going to. Pop out of the soil, and then it's going to establish itself. It's going to get a little trunk and some leaves, and then it's going to get bigger and bigger. And what do we got to do? We got to protect it from bugs. We don't step on it, right? We don't step on it, so we don't cause dissensions among each other. And we allow it to grow. We water it. We fertilize it. We nurture it with prayer. That's why prayer begets prayer. Prayer begets prayer. I want to tell you something about prayer. Listening to Elizabeth gives me these CDs of a guy called Aaron Morgan. And he blows my socks off, this guy. And so every time she says, I've got something for you, I say, give it to me. Give it. <laughs> yeah, you got another one. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> All right. And he, quote, he quoted, Aaron Morgan quoted William Law. Who's heard of William Law? Great uh, Puritan preacher, wasn't he? Yeah, minister. And, um, he said this. He said, prayer is the nearest approach to God and the highest enjoyment of him that we are capable of in this life. It's the noblest exercise of the soul, the most exalted use of our faculties and the highest imitation of the inhabitants of heaven. When our hearts are full of God, sending up holy desires to the throne of grace, we are then in our highest state, uh, we're on the height of human greatness. The height of human greatness. Who wants to be there? If you want to get to the height of human greatness in this life, if you want to ex- uh, propel yourself to the highest position as a human can possibly get in life, Become a prayer warrior. Become powerful. Become awesome in prayer. Become, uh, you know, earth-shaking in prayer. Become heaven-shaking in prayer. Become hell-shaking in prayer. Amen? Because that's the noblest thing you could possibly esteem to do in this life, is pray at that level. Pray with intensity. Pray with passion. Amen? Who's getting it? Now, there's another lady, her name is Lisa. She's also joined our prayer partner ministry, one of five. So we have 20 prayer partners. Amen? Isn't that good? That is good. We've got 20 prayer partners. Um, now, this lady sent me a really, really long email. And uh, I have, uh, it's so long, it's going to take me a while to respond to it because I want to respond to the points. But she, she wrote me a blurb about every point point that I had on my list and she wrote a response but the one I just want to read here she says whenever I begin to pray for the effectiveness of your preaching I've been finding myself praying that the Lord increase your anointing doubly and that he causes a boldness to come on you to attack sin and go after sin like you have gone up, have, like you have never gone after it before that he would make you bold as a lion that you would treat it as if it were life and death of which it is. 
And that is what you are called to do. You know, he will cause you to hate sin just as much as he hates it. And when you do, it will become that much easier to preach against it. So I've been just told here that she's praying that I get double anointed and I go after sin more passionately with more power than I ever have before. So look out, guys. I'm going to double it today. So get ready. Turn the volume down now. But aren't they powerful? I'm, I'm getting these incredible emails. And these, I've got another email from that same Christiane uh, from Brazil, and she had, these, uh, she had these visions of me. And she said that one of the visions, and I, I won't bother trying to find it, that she said we're in a, at a building, and I sort of imagined this one, and that we walked out a door, and there was me with five men with me. And we had, like, college hats on and a, and a certificate. And we were celebrating, and we were hugging each other, saying, well done, good on you. And what, he, what she said was the certificate was the highest degree that you can get in the kingdom while on earth. We were holding these certificates. And I was like, yeah, in the spirit. So what we're going is we're going for higher doctrines, higher understanding of the scriptures. We're getting into the deeper, you know, things of God. And that's what she was saying she had this vision of in this church. And she had a number of visions. She wrote them all down. So one day, if you're interested, I'll, I'll, I'll show you the email. But some really powerful stuff. So that's what God's been doing lately. Um, now, are you ready for a sermon? I'm going to put this over here because I don't need it today. I'm just going to read from uh, Romans. We're going back to... Actually, what confirmed that I've, I've got five sermon series I'm going to be uh, working over. Um, one is the New Testament survey. I hope I remember them all now. Another one is I want to uh, resurrect the character traits uh, sermon series because I'm getting a lot of good responses on the net because I'm finally getting those ones. That's how far behind I am in getting sermons online. Um, and everyone's saying, I'm being so blessed by this series. There's only a few views. I'm only getting about 100 views. But they, everyone, um, a few comments are just saying, this has really been speaking to me because um, I'm facing certain things that we, do, we need to develop as Christians. And these people are saying, you know, I talked about swearing and language, the language we use as Christians. And that, that uh, sermon, someone come on and said, you know what, I've, I'm a Christian, but I've got a gutter mouth. And this sermon has really convicted me. I've got to clean up my act. And I was like, whoa, you know, that's good. So um, I thought, got to bring up the character traits. And um, I'm going to get into the Revelation series, which I haven't done much of because there's been other pressing things. Uh, there's also a, a sermon series I'm going to do on the Holy Spirit, um, the person of the Holy Spirit, which thanks to Elizabeth, she gave me this sheet of um, scriptures that relate to the different uh, qualities and character characters of a or characteristics of the Holy Spirit, and I want to um, go through them because I think it'll be a really powerful study for us. To, so it would sort of be a more doctrine, you know, that, um, what I used to call it, critical doctrine. Mm. And there's one other series, I can't remember what it is now, but anyway. Let's go to Romans 8, if you could. Now, I've, I've, I wasn't going to do this sermon today, because I've been doing, I've done a few of these, but Vina said to me, are you going to be doing um, a sermon on the you know, New Testament survey tomorrow? And that sort of confirmed to me, yep, that's what I'm going to do, a sermon on this, because Romans 8 to me is the, is, is the cornerstone of this doctrine. 
of this doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of holiness as it being one, one, of the, uh, one united, this chapter is the chapter. And I really want you guys to, you know, put your thinking caps on now because I want to take you really deep in this because this is, um, uh, really will set the standard of what is this doctrine of salvation all about. And it's going to clarify very, very articulately what it is. So I want you to um, really stay with me as I go through this. Now it says in Romans 8 verse 1, and it says, Therefore, there is now no... So I'll start that again so it reads a bit better. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as I've said to you, there's a little uh, footnote if you go down at the bottom, and it says who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Now, just in relation to these uh, footnotes, Matthew and I were speaking, people go, oh, it's a footnote, it mustn't really be text. Well, what happened with the canon in the early centuries is the, the canon of Scripture was filtered through some of the most godly men you could imagine that were very right on the time period. They read that and they go, um, that could be misinterpreted if we don't add a little bit to it to clarify what Paul meant, which aligns with everything else in Scripture. And so it was added, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Right Now that's an important addition because it runs in line with everything else you're going to read in Romans 8, and it will keep us from falling for the, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, end of story, and that's, that's as far as my doctrine will go in relation to salvation. I'm not going to look any further. I won't read any other scriptures here. And that's all I want you to believe. I'll make it easy as pie for you. Is that salvation? No, because so far we've gone through Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. We've gone through 1 John and 3 John. We've done other parts of Romans. It doesn't make it that cut and dry. It's got a lot more to it. So, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who do not live according to the sinful nature. If you don't live according to the sinful nature, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you live according to the Spirit, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So the inference is obvious. If you do live according to the sinful nature... There is condemnation. And if you don't live according to the Spirit, there is condemnation. It's an obvious inference. It doesn't, you don't have to be very intelligent to understand that. You can be a primary school student and understand that. You don't have to be a theologian with a whole stack of letters after your name to understand that. Yet, does Christianity, many parts of Christianity, many uh, denominations, don't get this. I don't see how. Now keep on reading, and it says in verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So the law of the spirit of life came in him. The spirit of God, which is he called the spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. How? By giving him the power to resist the sinful nature. That's what it did. That's what the Spirit enables us to do. One of the jobs of the Spirit is to keep you holy. So 
then he says, for what the law was powerless to do. Now that's critical. Let's read that again. For what the law was powerless to do. Because, and it says, because that it was weakened by the sinful nature. The law was power. What was the law powerless to do? Make us holy. The law could not make a man holy. It just simply couldn't. And I'll, I'll, let's read some scriptures that talk about that. If we go back to Romans uh, 8.3. Oh no, that's where we are. <laughs> Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20. This is what happens when I don't have my PowerPoint going. 5.20. The law was powerless to make men holy. And it says in verse 20 of chapter 5, and it says the law was added so that the trespass might increase. So what was the law capable of doing? Increasing the trespass. Increasing sin. That's what the law is capable of doing. It reveals the sin nature, but it doesn't give you the power to overcome the sin nature. It just makes you recognize that you are a sinner. That's the law. And that's why John Wesley said, I preach 90% law, 10% grace. Because what he did was, when he was, and he saw tens of thousands coming to know Jesus, he preached 90% law in the sense of making people realize what the law is capable of doing is that you're a sinner. 10% grace. But Jesus Christ died for you so that you could be saved from your sin and live a holy life, enable you to live a holy life by the power of the Spirit. Romans 3.20, go back to Romans 3.20, and it says in Romans 3.20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in, in Jesus' sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. So, if we come back to Romans 8, and we go to 8.3, 8, and it says, For what the law was powerless to do, because through the law we become conscious of sin. So it's powerless to make a man holy. Just because someone in the world knows what is right and wrong doesn't mean they will do right things all the time. They just know the law. They live under the law. They know what right and wrong is. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? But a Christian who does not become holy is no better than those people under the law. Because a Christian, by the Spirit, has the power to overcome sin. Someone under the law doesn't have the power. However, if you're not overcoming sin, that's evidence that you're not walking in the Spirit. And so if we read on from here, it says... Um, so for what the law was powerless to do, that's verse 3, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Did you read that? Read that very, very carefully because people can... People, I, I tell you, a lot of people in, in, the, in the church today don't understand Romans. They think it's just too heavy. So they don't read it because they don't understand it. I think it's not that they don't understand it. It's they need the Spirit to really bring to light what it's saying. So let's read that again. And so he condemned sin 
Who? Jesus condemned sin. Sin is condemned. If you're getting involved in sin, you're involved in a condemned activity. So he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Jesus condemns sin so that the law, the righteous requirements of the law, could be met in us. Does that make sense? You know, um, if, you would, if you've been in churches for any length of time before, this is revelational stuff. A lot of you haven't really been in churches where, you have, where you've been getting taught the contrary doctrine to this. But if you've been in those churches, the first thing that those pastors would have taught you is that anyone that doesn't teach what I'm teaching is a legalist, and legalists are bad, right? So people will walk in here. If they hear me speaking about the righteous requirements of the law being fully met in us, they'll go, he's a legalist, I don't want him out of here. And I'll say, hang on, I'm not, I'm not saying it. It's in your book. It's in your book. So that's why I'm stressing. Actually, I'm more wanting to do this series for the internet. I want to get it out to millions and millions and millions of Christians around the world who need to hear this. Because the Christian church is in a dreadful, dreadful state. Steeped in sin. Steeped in sin to such a degree that the Spirit cannot operate in the church. And people are having demonic revivals in church. Seriously, I've seen it. Demonic revivals. Demons operating and they think, well, something supernatural is occurring here. It must be God because they're ignorant of Scripture. Their, their lives are steeped in sin. That they, they themselves shouldn't deserve a revival from God because they're steeped in sin. And they're claiming this mighty revival. You go there and there's chicken noises and rolling around and, and cackling like witches. And it's creepy. I'm not saying all of that stuff. I'm just saying when, what I saw happening in our church was creeping me out. It sent the wrong thing through me. And I saw people coming in that weren't believers and they were fleeing as quick as they could walk in there. Not by the preaching. Not by the worship, but by the carryings on of the so-called revival that was taking place. And so, you know, if you're going to have a revival, it's got to be through doctrinal purity. Amen? It's got to be, we've got to know the Bible. We've got to be solid in what it teaches. And we've got to be changed. You know, we've got to realize that Christians are only meant to be one way. They're meant to be holy. They're meant to be holy. How else can we prove to the world that we're any different? If we do the same things, if we go down to the pub on a Friday night with our mates and get drunk, and, and if we do what they do and then try to tell them about Jesus, they mock us. They laugh at us. What are you? Look at you, mate. You're rolling around drunk. You know, you can't tell me about Jesus. But if, if people see that there is distinctly, it's like you're a new type of creature, distinctly different, walking in the Spirit, filled with love and grace, reaching out to people. I'm saying this for me too, you know, because it has to change in all of us. 
you know, I've, I've got a book at home. It's called The Holy Spirit is Not for Sale. Anyone heard of that book? I know Matthew has. You've heard of it. That, that book blew my mind when I read it. Some of, the, some of the wickedest, most sinful men are the pastors. I don't know. It's this grace movement, this hyper-gracism that's caused people to think they're free to sin because we're under grace. That's not what it's about. Let me read you some things I've, I've written. The difference between under law and under grace. The difference. When we are under the law, we can't uphold the law. Does the Bible say that we should uphold the law? Go back to 3.31, Romans 3.31. And it says, Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. See, he's, he's saying, just because you've got faith, just because you're under grace, does that nullify the law? Does that mean the law doesn't apply to us? No, not at all. It says, rather, we uphold the law. And then we read in 8.4 8, that the righteous requirements of the law should be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Who We're not supposed to live according to the sinful nature. We're supposed to live according to the Spirit of God. If you live according to the Spirit of God, you will not sin. If you're sinning, it's because you're not in the Spirit and you're not under grace. Because if you're under grace, you can live above the sin nature and you will not live according to the Spirit. Sorry, <laughs> according to the sin nature, but you can live according to the Spirit. So when we are under the law, we can't uphold the law. You can't. Because as I read before, the law just makes you conscious of sin, makes you realize you're a sinner. It actually, if anything, it increases the trespass. It causes you to sin more. But it doesn't mean it's not a holy commandment. The law is still holy, and Paul makes that very well clear. The law is still holy. Just because we're sinning doesn't make the law unholy. It just points it out. It makes it clear. Yep, I'm a sinner. I need grace to not sin. So when we're under the law, we cannot uphold the law and we cannot fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and because the law was introduced so that the transgression would increase, so that the sin would increase. So when we are under grace, however, in Romans 5.20, continues, it says, but, but when sin increased, so when sin increased, grace increased all the more. So even though sin is increasing now, Sin is increasing in the world, amen? Is it in every medium, through every channel you could possibly think of? You can't go anywhere without sin confronting you at massive proportions. But where sin increased, grace will increase all the more. So as we... Now, that, that, that does not mean, like these hyper-grace teachers teach, that does not mean that as we sin more, we receive more grace. We don't get more grace by sinning more. It doesn't mean when, when you sin, don't worry, you're under grace. That's No, when you sin, you're not under grace. That's why you're sinning, because you're not under grace. So it means as sin increased, we receive more grace so that we could overcome by his power. Who wants the power of the Holy Spirit in their life? Who wants it? I can see everyone here. Who wants it? Who would love to know that you could go up to your friends, unbelieving friends, 
and have such a power of influence by the Spirit that you could convert them all? Who would love it if you could be that proud of being a Christian that you could convert all your friends, all your, all your you know, boys and girlfriends, and they would all be at church with you, praising and worshipping Jesus? Would that make you confident in God? Would that make you worship stronger when you're here? Would that make you more proud that you're a Christian? But we've got we, we to want that, but we've got to be proud that we're a Christian, even if everyone in the world hates us. We, we're not here for popularity. We're here to do a job. We're here for a job. Christians are here. They have a purpose. They have a job. It's a great commission. It's not a great option. It's not maybe I'll fulfill it if I get the chance. Or Rob's doing a great job of it. We'll leave him to it. You know what I mean? I'm not doing a great job of it. I've got a lot to do. Falling short, big time. But it means as sin increased, we received more grace so that we could overcome by his power, by faith. Therefore, when we are under grace, we can uphold the law. If you're under grace, you will uphold the law. And we can fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. For grace reigns, listen to this, in Romans 5.21. Let's just turn there. Romans 5.21. And it says, so that, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness. So grace reigns through righteousness. That means... Grace causes you to reign in righteousness. Yep. So for grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life. See? It's, it's linking righteous living, staying in the Spirit, to eternal life. It's linking it. It's linking it. And I want to read one, and, and I've been, this was a real revelation to me, which actually hit me when I was preaching a few weeks ago. Go to Romans 6.22 Romans 6.22 Everyone there? And it says, but now that you have been set free from sin Okay, so now that we've repented we've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God So what's the next step? You become, you get repent and you get set free from sin The next step is you become slaves to God Slaves. What's a slave? He used that word deliberately. He didn't, he doesn't, he's not throwing words around here. He's throwing words around by the Spirit. He's not, he's not flippantly, oh yeah, you become a slave to God. No. What is he saying? A slave does not have a will of his own. A slave is whatever the master says, that's what he does. And if he doesn't, well, look out, wallop. Do you know what I mean? So in a sense, he's trying to say, well, look, we're sons and daughters of God. You know, we're blessed. We're kings and priests. We're all these wonderful things. We like to dwell on all those wonderful things, but we forget about the fact that we're slaves. We're slaves as well. And he's calling us. He says, this is, this is the transition to salvation. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin, so through repentance, have become slaves to God, the benefit from that, if you become a slave to God, the benefit you're going to reap leads to holiness. And the result, read it all in your scriptures, guys, the result is 
eternal life. A four-stage process. Four stages. You've been set free from sin, repentance. You become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and that leads to eternal life. So that there is, to me, is, is in, a, in essence, the cornerstone of the whole doctrine of salvation. Everyone should read that, reflect on that, and teach from that. That should be the essence. If you're going to teach on salvation, that's it. That's where we've got to dwell. And everything else, does it all align so far in this survey? Does all the other scriptures I've preached on, do they all align with this one doctrine? So far. So grace gives us the power to be holy and not sin. That's why we need to walk by faith to receive the grace to live holy lives. We cannot uphold the law if we are not under grace. So let's go now to verse 5 of chapter 8. So those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. So if, you, if your heart is set on sin, if your heart is set on you know, getting into sinful activity that you know is sinful, that you know God won't approve of this, God does not approve of me doing it, but my heart's set on it, I'm going to do it, surely he'll forgive me. You're in danger at that moment of thinking like that because you're, you're fulfilling these scriptures where it says those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what their nature desires. Therefore, if you're a Christian and you're living that way and that's how your mind is thinking, you're not under grace, you're under the law. You are under the law. People say, I'm a legalist. I'm not a legalist. I'm not saying everyone, only a handful of people have actually accused me of that. But you know what? From According to Scripture, I can honestly say that a good portion of Christianity, especially Western Christianity, is under the law. They're not under grace at all. They claim they're under grace, but they're claiming to be under grace is only in essence that they can sin and do what they want to do and you know what when you preach this it, it, it it's tough to hear isn't it does it shake you guys do you feel shaken when you hear this yeah does it sort of like disturb you like it starts making you go back through your life Look, have i been sinning like what am, what am i into and then the holy spirit should quicken you Quicken you with things that you're possibly doing. And you realize, man, I can't be involved in that. I can't be doing that. I can't be watching that. I can't be seeing that person and doing that with that person and, and all this sort of stuff. That all the, your mind goes running. And then there's a battle. Then a battle takes place. It's either that or, in a sense, accept what Rob's saying, which is what the scriptures are saying because I'm trying to declare it straight off the page. Can you sort of see that? I'm not trying to make it up. I'll tell you what, it would be great if you're under grace, you could sin all you want and you'll never lose your salvation. That would be beautiful. It would be great that we wouldn't have to go through a tribulation that would be raptured before it. That would be great as well. But am I going to preach that because I want it so that I can indulge in it? Or am I going to preach what the Scriptures say regardless of how many people get their noses out of joint? And how disturbing it is when you realize, man, I've been sinning. And you know what? I don't want to hear that I can't do that. I want to do that. I want to do that thing, whatever it is. 
you know, this is, it's hard for me to do it because it runs, who knows what I'm preaching runs in contrary to, to so much of the preaching out there. Like I know uh, Daniel and Ben and Sophie and Ricardo, Elizabeth, Stephen even, and uh, Andrew and Sharon, and I'm saying their names because they've, they've been involved in churches before this church, and Vina, of course, and my kids who were there, if they remember it, they were young. But um, who knows that this is running in lo- uh, contrary. Would I be welcome behind the pulpits of those churches you used to be in? You, they wouldn't let me up there, would they? Because half the people would run out with their pants on fire. I'd be going, this guy is burning me. <laughs> so to, to you guys, what I'm saying is, is really, really, you know, it, it's sort of like revelational in a way, isn't it? Like you've heard me for a few weeks now, so it's not as revelational, but uh, you know what I mean? But it's like you're going... Gee, you know, I've never heard it quite put like that before. Yeah, Ricardo, you never heard it where you were going, did you? Yeah. Is that right? So we're talking some of the biggest churches in Adelaide. Some of the biggest churches. Thousands of Christians who don't know this, whose eternal lives are in jeopardy. Thousands and thousands of Christians that could go to hell because their pastors don't preach that the four stages of salvation. That you've got to repent. You know they don't even teach repentance now. Joseph Prince has come along saying, oh, you don't put the car before the horse. Get them saved, then they repent. No. Jesus won't accept the sinner. He'll accept a repentant soul. Just like it's like saying to a parent that hugged the kid before he says sorry for the really bad thing they did. No, he says sorry, then you give him a hug, isn't it? Sorry first, then hug. You don't hug and then he says sorry, you gave me a big hug, so I'm sorry now. It's ridiculous. You know? We come to Jesus humbly, fear and trembling. We tremble on our knees, we bow before him, and we say, You are king. And I am a miserable, rotten sinner. Forgive me. That's how we come to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the God who created the whole universe and everything within it. That's how we come to the man who, and, and, or the God man who owns everything. That's how we come to him. Humble, humble repentance. Weeping before him. You know, I'm, I'm reading of these revivals of the past and there was such a power of God on these people that were, were, were sinful, that didn't know Jesus, that when they were repenting, they were crying out, hell is too good for me, hell is too good for me. Remember? They, they were so recognised the wretchedness of their sinful state, they realised that hell, which is where the sinful go if they don't repent, was too good for them. You should have somewhere worse than that for me because I am so wretched. That's how convicted of sin these men and women get during revival. That's why I'm crying out for revival because we need God to come down heavy on the people and turn their hearts to Jesus with all their hearts and cause them to become holy. We need to be holy. We can't be half lukewarm 
Christians. We can't be holy sometimes, unholy the other time, repent and then get holy again and then slip and sin again and then try to repent again and come back to God. We can't be doing that, you know, yo-yo Christianity. You know, the, the men of the past, the men of God of the past, they were holy full-time even though they probably didn't feel it. But man, compared to what, what, we, uh, what we experience in the West, you know, it's just no comparison to the impeccable lives that they led. Guys, I'm talking by the Spirit of God. I'm talking by the Spirit of God. I did not plan to say this in this light in any way, shape, or form, but I'm just allowing God to say it through me. And just because I'm saying it, don't think I'm in a higher position than you guys, because I am not. I'm right there with you in the seats right now, getting the same level of conviction. It's just that God's stabilizing me to be able to say this. He's using me to say it. And now I've got to change because I can't be a hypocrite. And it says, those who live according to the sinful nature, this is verse 5, have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So only one of two ways. We either live by the Spirit, we desire what the Spirit desires, or we live according to the sinful nature and we desire what the sinful nature desires. There's only two kinds of humans on earth, and that's them. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Who struggles with peace in life? Who struggles to have peace, to find peace? Well, you've got to be controlled by the Spirit. If you're struggling to find peace in your everyday affairs, you need to have your mind transformed. You need to be controlled by the Spirit full time. You've got to die to self, hand it over to Him. Lord, I give it all to you. Take my wretchedness, please, and help me to raise above the sin nature. Because it's the sin nature that makes us uncomfortable with, our, with who we are and our self. It's the sin nature that causes depression. It's the sin nature that causes all the things that we suffer in life. If we could overcome the sin nature, we would find peace, as the Word of God just says it. Those controlled by the... Sorry, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Because the sinful mind is hostile to God. Don't be hostile to God. Don't involve yourself in sin because the moment you do, you're hostile with God and you don't want to be hostile with God. You know, would you go up to a, a bikey hostile, say, hey, mate, <laughs> would you do that? And he's got 10 of his mates behind him. You wouldn't do it, would you? Now, don't push God around, man. Don't be hostile with him. He's bigger than you, a lot bigger than you. Actually, he doesn't even have to breathe to knock you out. Just the air that will come from clicking his fingers will knock you out. Just poof. <laughs> and not only that, he could click his fingers and you could just, all your atoms will just disassemble and you're gone. He's powerful. Don't be hostile with God. So don't entertain the sin nature. Don't entertain it. 
in your life because God sees that as hostility. That's how he sees it. That's what the word says because the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You can't. When you're under the law, you can't submit to the law. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Now, Christians are supposed to be God-pleasing. So we, we've, we can't be controlled by the sinful nature. As I said, grace does not mean you can sin. Grace gives you the power not to sin. That's what grace is. When you're under grace, you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you uphold the law, you fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and you can raise above the, the sin nature. It does not have power over you anymore. That's being under grace. I plan to write a book, Under Grace, Upholding the Law. No one's going to buy it. Except you guys. Well, hopefully they will buy it. <laughs> so I shouldn't speak like that, should I? Faith, faith. Yeah. They will buy it. They will. Once they hear this New Testament survey, if they get through the first five minutes of one of the parts. Anyway. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. See, this is, he's speaking to us now. You guys, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. You're controlled by the Spirit. If the Spirit lives in you, you're controlled by the Spirit. So, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, get this, read it. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. I'm not saying this. Again, I'm stressing. I'm not saying this. Well, I am saying it. Uh, I'm reading it. It's not coming from Rob's philosophy of Christianity. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, let's say it together, he does not, can I hear you guys? He does not belong to Christ. Everyone said it under their breath. It's scary, isn't it? It's a scary passage. If anyone does not have, have the Spirit of Christ. So I bet you're all going, do I have the Spirit of Christ? Do I have the Spirit of Christ? How do you know? How do you know? First thing is you'll start to hate sin. You'll start to hate sin. If you don't hate sin, then you've got to start praying, God, give me the Spirit. I have the Spirit. I can testify that Jesus is Lord. That's the, that's the sign that you have the Spirit. But is the Spirit controlling you? Is the Spirit directing your every move? Pray that he does. Pray. Actually, if you're praying all the time, there's a sign. You have the Spirit of Christ. So if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That means they're not saved. And you know that they have the Spirit of Christ because they won't be sinning. That's the evidence back here. That was the fruit of the Spirit is that they will live a, sinful, a sinless life. The fruit of the Spirit, that's how you know you've got the Spirit of Christ. So let that give you a, a check in your spirit. If you're living a sinful life, you're not walking by the Spirit of Christ. And if you live that way long enough, eventually the Spirit is grieved away, the Scriptures say. This is, this is powerful. Amen? This is powerful revelation. But if Christ is in you, listen to this. This is how you know. If Christ is in you, 
your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So your body becomes dead to sin. The sinful nature is always considered the flesh nature. In the King James, it's the flesh nature or the sinful nature. That must be dead. It must be crucified with Christ. That's why Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And then he says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's it. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how we're to live. It's not just that Paul lived that way. He's saying that so that we would live that way. And, the, and, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, this is verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is truly living in you, if, if Jesus is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit at the resurrection. So you're going to have eternal life. That's what he's saying. So is salvation very, very like, is salvation and righteous living or holiness is, is all, always together in Scripture. It's always a united front. There's always the evidence is you're holy. That's the evidence that you're saved, that you're, you've been transformed. You no longer get influenced by the sin nature. You're influenced by the Spirit, and the Spirit cannot sin, it will not sin, it. he will not sin, and he cannot, does not sin. The Spirit will not sin. So if you're filled with the Spirit, you won't go there. If you're going there, it means the Spirit's not in you at that moment because he won't go there with you. And I've preached this many, many times. But I'm, I'm just reading, I'm always reading different scriptures. Does it keep coming back to the same thing? Let me show you something. I've actually, see all those scriptures there. I started writing them out, but there was that many. I just started to just write the actual verses. Now, then I started this Romans 5. I just said all of it. Romans 6, uh, 6, read all of it. Romans 7, read all of it. Romans 8, read all of it. That's for this New Testament survey because it's all relating to the same thing. Here we have the rest of Romans. We've got 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And these are not short passages. This is like 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 11. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 14 to 18. I read through the entire New Testament and pulled every scripture out that relates to salvation and holiness. There's all the Galatian ones, there's all the Ephesian ones, there's the Philippians and the Colossians. Here's more, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, James, and then I'm into the book of Matthew now. All relating. So guys, we're going to be at this for a while, for quite a while. You're going to hear this over and over again. But by the end of it, I reckon you'll get it. It'll sort of go, okay, yeah, okay. So we're going to be holy, hey? <laughs> right. So that, you know, this is, this is important. And I'll tell you how important it is. If we stuff this part of our Christianity up, Everything else is a waste. doesn't matter what else you believe in. doesn't matter how good you are at eschatology or how good you are in the knowledge of the love of God and all this stuff. If you don't get your salvation right, 
Everything else is a farce. Life is a farce. You end up in hell, according to Scripture. You end up eternally condemned. Who wants... Who, 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 if, if God said to you, I want to send you to hell for five minutes, would you go, oh, yeah, okay, no worries. How would you feel? You know, I'm just going to send you for five minutes. You're going to go down there, you're going to be thrown into the flames for five minutes. Who, who here would, you know, put up their hand and say, okay, yeah, oh, that should be a buzz. No, you'd like to go and watch it. You don't want to go and go in it. <laughs> <laughs> we should, we, it would be nice to get a vision of it because it would change you forever you wouldn't be the same Christian again but hell is a very real place you know I've got more faith in that there's hell than the fact that you guys are right in front of me right now because it says about the earthly things that the, 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 the things that we cannot see are eternal the things we see and I'm not saying you guys in particular, because your spirits are eternal, you're going to live forever, because I'm going to make sure of it. But the things that we see, this, this here, it's going to be gone. Yeah, it's going to be destroyed. Facebook one day is not going to be Facebook anymore. Yeah. It's going to be gone. The computer, the internet is going to be gone. God's got a much better system of communication. And information. All of these things are going to perish. They're going to be destroyed. Jesus is going to come. He's going to destroy them with fire. And then it says, so what kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of his coming. If we realize that this is all going to go, we ought to be holy and godly. We shouldn't be fixing our sights on the things of the world. Sure, we've got to work in the world. Don't, don't take it that I'm saying quit your job. And don't bother making money because money's evil or something. Money's not evil. The love of money is evil. Right? Just make sure you got that part of it right. So um, we ought to live holy and godly lives. But hell is real. So you, five minutes, just five minutes. Just five, five minutes. That doesn't take long. You wouldn't want to go, would you? No way. Who would want to risk getting thrown there forever and ever 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 and ever? As I said, and Daniel keep bringing up this one sermon I did ages ago, and I said, you know, a million years will pass, and you won't be able to stand it one more second. Not one more second. And you've been there a million years, and you can't stand another second. We don't even want five minutes. Not one more. And then a million, million years will pass. And every second you can't stand another second, but you're still there. And then a billion years will pass. A billion years, eternity is a long time. It doesn't stop. And you're still there, and you still can't handle one more second, and you're still in the pit of hell. We call the lake of burning sulfur. Hell's thrown in there with it. And you're still there. And then a billion, billion, billion years passes. And you're still there. You're still not used to it. 
You still can't stand it. No one more second and you've been there a billion, billion, billion years and you're still in hell. You can't stand it and you're still there. What would you do to get out of there? What would you do if God said, look, I'll send you back to live your life over on earth so you can get it right? After a billion, billion, billion years of hell, do you think that that man would be the holiest man that ever walked the face of the earth? He would be praying on his knees continually, continually, 24 hours a day. He will deprive himself of sleep. He will not give up because he realizes that hell is real. We don't realize that hell is real. It doesn't change us. It doesn't make us want to live holy lives. We get, Christianity, yeah, I can take it or leave it. I don't want to tell my friends about it, you know, Pray. Oh, yeah, I forgot this morning. I'll try to get in some prayer tonight. I'll probably do five minutes. You know, we only got one shot at this. We can't mess this up. We got one shot, one life. This is the critical moment in history for us. You get it right and you live eternal life with Jesus Christ, but it comes with a cost. Did Jesus pay a cost? Did his disciples pay a cost? They gave their lives for this. Don't you realize why now? I'm willing to throw my life down for Jesus Christ. Take it. Kill me, get me martyred if you want to, if that's your, cho- that's your choice, because it's better than a billion, billion, billion years in hell. What? A Muslim's going to cut off my head. Well, go for it. Cut it off because I'm going to have eternal life. And if that's the slight bit of little minuscule bit of pain that I have to suffer, just that minuscule bit of pain, because that's what it's compared to hell, it's nothing. You know, you'll just feel pain in your neck while they're cutting off your head. And I'm sorry to be so graphic. You'll just feel a bit of pain. Actually, Jesus, when it's happening, will take it away. It'll feel like, you know when... Someone, they, the, the nurse pulls out that big sharp needle and she's about to stick it in your arm and you're going, oh. And then it goes in and you go, oh, has it gone in? Oh, it's happened. Oh, really? That's what it'll feel like. It'll be just a pinch. It'll be a pinch. And it's over. And you've stood the test. And you come out victorious. And it's worth it. Because that little pinch was worth it compared to eternal burning that you can't, that your whole body is engrossed in. From the tips of your toes to the tips of your fingers to the top of your head, your whole body will never ever cease from having agony. Every organ will burn, every bone will burn. You'll feel everything with pain. And I'm sorry I'm so graphic, but it's better to hear it here than to be there. Isn't it nicer to hear it here? It's like, even though it's shocking, it's like, wow, Rob's really on a tangent right now. But to live it, to be in there for a billion, billion years, you would come back and listen to this sermon a million, billion times while you live. You'd be saying, Rob, can you stop preaching about everything else? Just preach about hell every single time you preach because it is so real and billions of souls are going to go there. And there's already, hell is already full. But it's opening its mouth wide 
and, uh, and receiving more and receiving more. And the more sick and corrupted this world gets, the bigger its mouth is getting. It's taking more and more and more souls. We're losing people at a phenomenal rate. And what? The church doesn't even preach on hell. The church doesn't even preach on repentance. It doesn't even preach on sin or holiness. And we're losing them. We're losing them. Something's got to be done. We've got to clean up our act. We have to clean up our act. God's got to be first. God has to be first above everything. Everything. And we've got to show it in everything that we do in our life. It's got to be God first. If you're not praying in the morning, get up and pray. Deprive yourself of some sleep. Because that's one thing Daniel pointed out to me. You don't sleep in hell. There's no sleep in hell. There's no rest. He, was, he used an analogy. He said one day he had this really, really long day and he was, he was on this long drive. Was it coming back, coming down the Adelaide Hills? And he was that tired. Who's been that dead tired? Your eyes are burning. <laughs> you know the thing? And you're trying to drive and you haven't got time to pull over and have your little power nap that they recommend all the way down the Princess Highway. And you're, you're driving and your eyes are burning. And sleep, it, he was so tired, it was making him ill. That sick, who's had that? Who's been that tired that you feel ill? And he, at that moment, when he was in that ex- having that experience, he thought, what would hell be like? That you, you're tired, all you want to do is lay down and shut your eyes and have a peaceful sleep. And it's deprived. You're deprived of it. Not just for a day or two, not just for a week or two. Not just a year or two years. You're deprived of sleep forever. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Never to ever experience a blissful sleep again. That is, that is shocking. That is shocking. So don't risk it. Don't think Jesus always oh, uncool, so I'm not going to get into him. He is cool, man. God is the coolest, if you want to think in that term. God is awesome. He is worthy of our worship. When we're in worship, guys, no kidding. If you had spent just five minutes in hell, you would be like this in worship. You wouldn't be able to sing loud enough. Our worship, if we had a revelation of hell, our worship would be the most intense worship we'd ever experience. If you just realized who you're worshiping and the power of his majesty and the glor- his glorious might, that he is worthy of being feared. Amen? He is worthy of being feared. We should come before him. We should walk into a church service. No kidding. This is the rightful way to be. We should walk in with fear and trembling. We should nearly be on our knees down this mat to get our way to the seat. If we truly recognized him for who he is and for we've entered the house of God that Jesus died for, that Jesus is in the midst of his people, that he, he's among his people, his living stones. And if we could just get a grip on that and we could embrace that, no kidding, revival would come that day. It depends on me, but it also depends on you. It depends on us filling our minds with what's most important. 
with, with the truth of the God that we serve. And we serve the real God. We serve the real Christ. We're not getting deceived. We're not serving Buddha because he said a few nice things. Got a few nice principles of life. You know how many Buddhas there are out there? What I mean by that is, you know how many people can go and spin some really nice philosophies? You know, Buddha was the Tony Robbins of his day. If you don't know who Tony Robbins is. He's a really good motivational speaker. Life principles. That's what Buddha was. And Muhammad, I'm not saying this lightly, was a genius at leading people into warfare. He mixed religion and military might together. He unified an entire people that were disunified and got them, had them uh, have a common enemy in the Jews and anyone who would not receive the religion that he taught. He made Hitler look like a schoolboy. We don't, we don't serve a, a, a Lord that went out with a sword and killed people, that led armies into battle. We don't serve Jesus. That's what they wanted Jesus to do. They said, you know, why aren't you taking up a sword, basically? Why aren't you leading us against the Romans who are oppressing us? Now Jesus says, love your enemies, man. Love your enemies. Do good to those that harm you. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, radical, radical way of approaching. And then he said this, you'll know who I am because I'm going to raise myself to life after three days. And you're going to, you're going to crucify me. And he even prophesied that his own people would crucify him. It was written hundreds of years before, 300 prophecies written before he came fulfilled every single one of them to the letter. 300 prophecies spoke about Jesus, where he was going to be born, where he was going to live, the kind of man he was going to be, the little things that were going to take place during his ministry. 300 prophecies written 400 years plus before. He fulfilled them all to the letter. What other man has ever had his whole life written out before he lived it? No other man. That's Jesus. That's our Jesus. He's the truth. So we're on the right path. And we've got the only book that gives true eternal life. You don't get, you know, a, a few dozen vestral virgins or a few dozen sultanas or whatever that interpretation of that scripture means. We, if you know what I mean, it's a funny thing. But um, we've got words of life here. How many of you read this all the time? And when I say all the time, not all the time, like, you know, Rob said I've got to read it all the time. So you wake up at 7 o'clock and start reading it and it's 9 o'clock at night and you put it down. No, it's not what I mean. Who reads this a lot? Check yourself. Make sure the words of life are on the tip of your tongue. Make sure you're, you, it's, they're penetrating your heart, changing your understanding, transforming the way you think about life. Don't let world philosophies come in and sweep you away. Don't let the philosophies of this world alter the way you think about Jesus. Let the way you think about Jesus be governed primarily from this, not from some fancy writer in the world that has an antichrist agenda. Don't listen to these guys on these documentary stations on Foxtel that 
go and make up some fanciful story about Jesus. That's not true. It's not in the Bible. It's in some you know, Gnostic gospel or something. Don't listen to these guys. Go to the source. And live for him with everything in your being. Amen. Give him everything. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. What time is it? Wow. I've been going a while. <laughs> Preach it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But who's getting something from this survey? Yeah? Is it sort of slightly altering the way you think about that? No, just a little. Just a little. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you. I didn't get through Romans 8, so we've got to go over it again. I'll back, come back to the start next time. We'll work over it again. All right. Thank you, Jesus, for this, this time now, and thank you for the honour and the privilege of speaking to these uh, wonderful people. And I, Lord, I just pray that um, you'll bless them with deeper understanding in relation to this doctrine. For Lord, it's, um, it's one that has been very uh, messed up over the years. And, and Lord, we've got to come back to the word. We've got to come back and go verse by verse and really find out what it says. So I just pray that every soul here will go home and open their Bible and start to read it for themselves and start to just take note of what is being said. I pray that the Spirit will guide them. I pray the Spirit will illuminate their understanding. So as they read these words on these pages, uh, that it will just hit them clearly, uh, right between the eyes in a sense, of what the truth of this doctrine is. Because, Lord, we need to get it right before you. We need to live holy and righteously before you. There's no other way. We can't have salvation unless it's accompanied by the evidence of the Spirit working in our life. And so, Lord, um, as radical as this sounds to people today, it was the accepted gospel for nearly 2,000 years. So, uh, Lord, I pray that you help us to restore this message and by restoring it, that everyone that comes to Blessed Hope Chapel will be radically altered and that they'd become new creatures in Christ and they'd be born again of the Spirit. And Lord, that we would be a changed people, a transformed people, walking in the power of the Spirit, able to turn men's hearts and women's hearts back to you and able to bring people to a knowledge of the truth. Lord, because there's nothing, nothing less than we should be uh, aiming for as Christians than to, to fulfill your will. Uh, and your will for us on this planet. So Lord, I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus and I pray that you bless the time we have together now as we, uh, as we fellowship together and I just pray a real blessing over everyone. I pray there'll be a strong unity and a sense of oneness among us uh, and I pray that we reflect deeply on the words of this sermon and that we uh, get enough uh, sort of incentive from this for the week and inspired enough to to live it out all week long until we see each other next Sunday as well as on the Wednesday night prayer meeting. I just pray that everyone that can would be at the prayer meeting and uh, may we just, the prayer meetings get stronger and more powerful every single week. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. Mm -hmm.